everybody doing? What are you filming? You can you can have it on. I didn't mind. What's up? How's everybody doing? Everybody having a good time at the improv? Guys, Love It or Leave It is going on tour with Pod Tours America. Did someone boo? What was... You're mad that I won't be in L.A. during the tour? That's cool. October 5th, Madison, Wisconsin at the Capitol Theater. There's still some tickets left for that. And then this week, going on sale, we're adding a show in D.C. on Friday, November 3rd, and a second show at the Beacon in New York City on Saturday, November 11th. So if you're listening, go to crookhit.com slash chores. I don't care if the people here get to see how the sausage is made. Look at all these friends. Look at all this merch. I've been saying it the same way, and John and Tommy have been doing, I see a friend of the hut, and so I'm not saying it in that way anymore. Uh, it's great to see you wearing a shirt from the company. What? Great question. Where's the new merch? Uh, not going to make a habit of answering questions, shouted. Uh, but because it's one that uh, redounds to the benefit of Crooked Media, I will tell you that new merch is coming, and it's going to be very... And there's going to be some love it or leave it. I've seen... Look, uh, there, there's been a graphic with a George Washington with a clown nose, and that's exciting. Uh, let me bring in our panel, because we have a great show. She is the author of My Underground American Dream. Please welcome Julissa Arce. She is a senior editor at the Daily Beast. Please welcome Erin Gloria Ryan. And he is the host of Talk Show, The Game Show on True TV. Please welcome Guy Branham. All right, let's get into it. What a week. So, uh, big development of the week. Uh, Donald Trump is a Democrat now. Um, and honestly, what a twist. He's not. He's not. Uh, while eating Chinese food with Senator Chuck Schumer and House, Mon and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, Trump made a... That's <laughs> what they were eating. Uh, Trump made a tentative plan to protect undocumented Americans from deportation and providing even a path to citizenship in exchange the Democratic leaders agreed to increase funding for border security. Uh, Trump told reporters later, we're working on a plan for DACA. The wall will come later. Uh, this took many Republicans by surprise. Someone in the crowd is losing their shit. Uh, and that's okay for now. Uh, so this led Republicans feeling uh, a bit surprised and not sure how to handle it. Erin, um, I'll start with you. What did you make of uh, President Deals this week? Okay, so I, I saw a lot of coverage of Trump being like, oh, he's this bipartisan visionary. <laughs> I... I think that he is bipartisan, like a freshman girl making out with another girl on the floor of a frat house is bisexual in that it is completely performative and for the reaction of the people around him in that immediate moment. Controversial metaphor or simile, doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. What she used the word like or as, so it is a simile. Good job. Good Thank job. Thank you. Thank you. Guy, guy is a lawyer. <laughs> guy, what did you think about it? Um, I like that the same week that like we saw the capacity in Trump to sort of like 
compromise and maintain some of the like the good moves that the Obama administration had made on immigration. He was also personally asking for an ESPN correspondent to be removed from her office <laughs> because she questioned his commitment to black America. Uh, and I like that he is essentially like a roulette wheel of racism where you never know where the ball will land. <laughs> so I, I actually think it's a little bit more predictable than that in that uh, if Trump breaks with the base on a key issue that does connect to racial grievance, he must also at the same time uh, commit some kind of equal and opposite worsening of a racial grievance, like it's a law of thermodynamics. Uh, so, that, so that's why he starts talking. We're, we're going to get to what happened with ESPN later, but that I think is partly why it's almost like, all right, you know, my anti-immigrant base is going to lose it over this. I better give them something to chew on, like call her crooked Hillary again and uh, call for a black woman to be fired. That'll get, they love that. <laughs> I, I do like that he is taking his one option for fucking over the Tea Party members of the Republican Party who s- simply are keeping anything from happening. I think both parties need to be reminded that at the end of the day, you should be able to get shit done. And if the only thing that you can do is shut things down, it hurts everybody. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, Julissa, what did you make of the uh, compromise on immigration itself? Uh, What looks like perhaps even a path to citizenship for undocumented young people, but also border security? First of all, I'm glad they had Chinese food, which is like Chinese food from immigrants. And at the same time, they're talking about like kicking immigrants out, but they're having (laughs) Chinese food. Um, so that's that was a nice touch. Um, you know, I, what, what really upsets me about this DACA situation is that they're just like playing yo-yos with this kid's lives, right? One minute he's like, we love them, we're going to treat them with heart. And then the next minute he's like sending sessions out to be like, no, DACA is done and over. And then he's like, but don't worry, we're going to have a compromise with Congress. And now he's like, well, no, actually, we're not going to have a compromise with Congress, but I'm going to tweet all of the details of the deal that we did make last night. So like, which one is it? Um, I think that the, the, the hard part about this DREAM Act, which would be great if it passed, right? Because it would give a a path to citizenship to young undocumented people who came here when they were kids and they didn't have a say when they were four years old that they should come to this country. Um, The hard part about it, though, is if it does come with, like, a bunch of enforcement, right? If it comes with, like... um, Last night I was watching Tucker Carlson. I watched Tucker Carlson. (laughs) I know. Listen, I watch it. You just can't I get enough know what of I, that guy. I know. We, we first. I first. He's so I, handsome. You went on. <laughs> so handsome. You love. You're in love with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> you love him so. Oh my God. He was run, talking you, about him backstage. He was talking about him so Ju- much backstage. Julissa runs the shop around the corner, and Tucker is your Fox Books. <laughs> and you guys don't like even to, know that you have matched. I would like on to, Bumble. Um, or one of them. I would like to go on record to say that I am not in love with Tucker Carlson. Uh, okay, Please. all right. Please. None of us. That was the least believable thing I've ever seen in my fucking life. I watch it because I go on his show, so I want to know like what I'm up against. But he was like, you know, this is gonna like cost chain migration, and like they're all gonna bring their whole families over here. And I just wanted to ask him, like, Tucker, why do you hate brown people? Like, why? You know. Um, 
But anyways, like the the hard part about it is going to be like this enforcement. Like if if and he oh he was so adamant about how come Republicans and Democrats won't give money for the wall, and I'm like I thought Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Like what happened yeah. to that conversation? Well, that was the other thing that was amazing is sort of Trump already capitulating, being like we'll get to the wall. The wall's basically already done. Honestly, <laughs> it's really fencing, and a lot of it's already being painted. And I just want a painted wall. And once it's painted. It'll be great, and it's basically as good as a wall. But inevitably, though, a compromise, if, it, if, the, if some form of the DREAM Act was going to pass and with Republican votes, it was inevitably going to contain some kind of border yeah. measures, right? I mean, that is the immigration compromise we've always been heading towards. Yeah, yeah and so it's, you know, I think it's fine to have a conversation about a compromise, but I, I don't think either side is going to give the House away without the other side giving something in, right? So for, for me, like, the DREAM compromise on the dream act would be fine like i i actually wouldn't mind giving them like some little bit of money to go figure out how they're going to build a wall because as long as we don't give them enough money to build the whole thing which is impossible right it is true That's actually like a wall billions of dollars a wall uh a 90 percent of a wall is just as useless as zero percent of a wall or like 50 percent uh, if it's half as high and you can just like oh no, you get it right over it a hundred percent of the wall is us use this as 100% of the wall. Like, because, first of all, like, okay, you can build a wall, but, like, I, I came here, and then I was undocumented for 15 years. I came here on a plane with a visa. Plane? So, like... Wait a second. They can make it really How big. How high is this wall going to be? They can make be? it really big. <laughs> can I just say I'm a little bit pissed off that a moat has never been considered? Guy... Barack Obama, when he was talking about immigration in the White House, when he was talking about all the border security measures, it, we wrote a whole joke. He did it in the Oval Office. He's like, what do they want? A moat? What are we going to do? Put alligators in the moat? And it could now happen. It, it is a, there is a non-trivial chance that President... President oh, I almost called him. There is a non-trivial chance that Donald Trump says, maybe we need a moat. And then someone's going to tell him that the Rio Grande is in a way a natural moat. Can, can I just ask that possibly one of the chips in this compromise be cracking down on Canadian actors who come to Los Angeles for yes. pilot season yes. and then just stay? Because that's a real problem in our culture. They all look like, like hot dads from a, like a, a paper towel commercial. Right, that's not it. That looks like it should be in like some kind of uh, uh, Scandinavian language. Right, and they're so nice that you're like, are you being a dick? Like, you can't, you can't enjoy their kindness because it's like, I think you're being a dick to me right now. But they're really that nice. They're terrible. Yeah, that's, see, that's, a, that's, a good thing. that's a good thing about, like, Mexican immigrants. We'll just, like, tell you. You know, we won't pretend to be nice. Let's build a wall between America and Canada, guys. That's where we should build the wall. That, that, we've come to some sort of compromise just right here. Love it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while since the kids in the hall... It's just been a while. We can move on from this topic. We, if you we have can't, more, we can't. I mean, I could like take over the whole show and just talk about this subject, but I won't. <laughs> but I won't. Um, you know, I, I just really hope that we stop playing yo-yo with these kids' lives because yeah. there are like real lives at stake that we're talking about, and it's not just like uh, it's not. They're not just tweets. They're, they're they're like real lives that are at stake yeah. here. Well, I think that's also part of the issue. Is like a lot of the people that are talking about it are people that can watch it like it's a sporting event. Like they're never going to be directly affected by it. So they're commentators and they're calling. Now this is leading. Now this is leading. And I think it gets lost in the conversation that, like you said, there's 
people's lives are involved in this and like entire families futures are involved in this and it's not it's not about scoring political points it's about like what are we doing with these people well also that so much of the goal is just to make a community of people frightened so they will be more economically exploitable the united states of america can't run without like a lot of the undocumented immigrants that we have here and we can't get rid of those people because then you would have to pay like American citizens who can go get a lawyer like a fair wage to do what a lot of people are, are doing now under some degree of duress and we're trying to increase the duress so they are more exploitable. Um, it's, we need to remember that when we see these things in other countries, it's very clear that these are apartheid situations, it's very clear that it is exploitation, but we're just used to it here, so we don't think about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, leave it there. Let's move on to uh, healthcare. Two big developments this week, uh, one promising, one uh, deeply frustrating, uh, frightening, and stupid. Let's start with the latter. On, on Wednesday, Republican Senators Bill Cassidy and Lindsey Graham and Dirty Dean Heller, as well as uh, right-wing nut Ron Johnson and former Senator Rick Santorum, who, who stopped by without purpose. Uh, oh, my God, he's like the high school guy who graduated three years ago who shows up in the lunchroom still wearing his letters. He's like, go Cougars! Like, hey, what's up, guys? Remember when I was a senior and you guys were just fucking sophomores? That's Rick Santorum. Love this place. I ruled this place. <laughs> You guys don't even know. I'm Rick Santorum. My, my name became synonymous with something else. So we don't really need... I, I, I don't know that it's worth getting into all the details of what uh, Graham Cassidy or Cassidy Graham, whichever you prefer, would do. But basically, it, it turns Obamacare into a block grant of some kind and then kind of slowly uh, turns it off and sort of puts it all in the hands of states uh, it seems unlikely that this will pass, but that is something that we said on several other occasions in which zombie Trump care came back to life and then almost got us. Aaron, what did you make of, of this? Do you think this has any chance? Are we, are we afraid of this? Okay, so first of all, I'm based in New York, and so whenever I come to California, I'm like, I just am crazy for a week because I like wake up on New York time and I go to bed on California time, so I wake up at 6, and at like 3 p.m., I'm like, why is it not time to go to bed? So I this is... I'm prefacing with this. Cassidy Graham sounds like the name of a neocon American girl doll. <laughs> um, she invites you to her birthday party and she's like, there's a bouncy castle and there's going to be Barbies. But you get to the birthday party and it's a pile of balloons and you have to line up to get the balloons and if you have enough subsidies, then you're allowed to jump on the pile of balloons and they're all going to break anyway and it's going to su- It's the worst birthday. Cassidy Graham sucks. Okay. <laughs> Uh, like like shoulder length, uh, like, uh, like honey Auburn. I yeah. was thinking Auburn hair. I can I can uh, capitulate to born, that. Yeah. Born at the University of Chicago. Yeah. No, I think she I think she was born at the University of Michigan. <laughs> University of Michigan or Notre Dame Law School. I think. Right of it. I don't. I don't really know what that meant. John, have you never been to the American Girl doll store? I, guy, that I, I can't say that I have. John. We're getting tea in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, if you haven't been to the American Girl doll store, then where'd you get those pants? Oh, my God. That was such a sick burn. I wore these pants to talk to Hillary Clinton. 
Uh, you guys want You guys want a little behind the scenes thing about uh, about Hillary Clinton? I'll tell you guys this story very briefly, which is uh, now, as you know, Favreau recently got married. Tommy recently got engaged, and so John, Tommy, and I are there. And now, I did not do either. But those things have not happened to me. <laughs> and so she comes down the stairs and she says. Uh, to John, congratulations, I hear you recently got married. She goes to Tommy, Tommy, congratulations, I know you recently got engaged. Then she turned to me and she goes, John, it's so good to see you. Congrats on still being alive. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Where were we? American Girl doll, Graham Cassidy. Graham Cassidy, (laughs) Graham, Graham Cassidy, her shitty birthday party. So Graham Cassidy, uh, but uh, I guess, uh, Aaron, I don't know how how you're seeing this right now, but I can't tell if this is a moment where we're not getting riled up fast enough because this really could happen, or if they're spinning themselves up to almost do something, but because Rand Paul is a no, and it seems unlikely that Collins and Murkowski flip back, that it really is hopeless. Right. Well, I mean, so I feel like the election of Donald Trump created this doubt in people's minds around everything that seems ridiculous, where you're just like, well, that there's no way that they're going to pass a law requiring all dogs to be made into hamburgers when they turn five. Like, but then you're like, oh, shit, they did it. Like, and Lo- I, Logan's and, run for dogs. Right. <laughs> um, Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I think, but, so I think that, like, it's, it does seem unfeasible, but the fact that something extremely out of the ordinary happened pretty recently has made people kind of on edge. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to make the point that when Melania is wearing six-inch heels to a hurricane, it's easy to get distracted. We, we all do, and this sweeping dog hamburger legislation... <laughs> You know, one day it's on John Oliver, and then you forget about it, and then you turn around. And you're like, where is This burger tastes weird. (laughs) I mean, but I also think that, you know, I also think, like, getting to what the bill actually does, what's what's crazy about it is it's, like, worse than what they rejected in July. And they're like, you know what, let's try what we did again and couldn't do, but let's do it in a worse way. Which doesn't make any sense, but I also worry that people are complacent because they're like, it already failed and they, they're not expecting, like, the zombie to come back again. Yeah, I feel like the, the, maybe because it's a totally different access point to repealing Obamacare, which instead of just one of the, one, the, the, the vice script they walked themselves into last time, that's a mixed metaphor, was uh, that they used the structure of Obamacare to, to replace Obamacare, which basically just meant they ended up with a shitty, ungener- inge- like, a shitty, less generous, uh, but still government-run <laughs> program of Obamacare. Uh, but this is a different idea, which is to break it up, turn it into less generous block grants, and then put it in the hands of the states, which could appeal to a broader base of Republicans. Right. And there's also, like, a cliff that it falls off in, I believe, 2026. Right. right. Where there's just no more subsidies. Right. Where like, there's just, it just is gone. It's, like and use, it's, it's, a, it's a gift card. Use right. It it's a it. gift card to everybody that's old right now, right. basically. Well, uh, on, a, on a totally, in a, it's almost like we're in a parallel universe, but at the same time as this was being debated... Uh, Bernie Sanders and 16 uh, uh, Senate Democrats who co-sponsored it introduced a Medicare for All bill, which is a single-payer plan that would uh, phase out private insurance over a four-year span and result in universal coverage. Um, and it would do this by expanding, eliminating, eliminates co-payments and deductibles, expands the range of services, including long-term care, vision, and dental. Uh, there are some options of how to pay for it. Obviously, it would be expensive for the United States to transition to a Medicare for All-like plan. 
fascinating how quickly things have changed uh, during the campaign. This was seen as something that Hillary Clinton said was uh, not feasible, and now months later, every, it's still basic, not feasible. Oh, okay. We're, we'll get to that. That's exciting. But uh, <laughs> but now basically every Democrat who looks like they might run for president has lined up behind single payer. Uh, Julissa, you say it's un, in, uh, not feasible. Yeah, it's not. It's still not feasible because the question, the the question that Bernie didn't answer during the campaign is still the same question he isn't answering, which is how are we actually going to pay for it, right? Like yeah. that's still the question. So everybody gets really excited because it sounds really good, but when you actually get into the weeds of it, it it's it's how are we going to pay for it? That's that's like the big question mark, right? So I think I think most people, you know, and even if you read all the articles that are going around uh, around it. It's like dead on arrival, but yet we're putting so much effort into something that isn't going to pass instead of actually spending time on fixing the real problems with Obamacare. Because Obamacare, you know, it's great. Like, I have insurance because of Obamacare. I also, you know, pay $300 a month for insurance I don't really even use because it's so expensive to use. So it is not perfect, but the solution isn't actually going to pass. Wait so a moment. Are you are saying doing? that actually implementing practical solutions is better than a very, very nice idea? Yes. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I also think that there are some things that are in on Bernie Sanders' wish list that are contrary to existing law. Like, one of the things that he wants this Medicare for All plan to cover is, like, abortion services, which has been illegal in the U.S. since, like, 1974. And, like, the Hyde Amendment prohibits, like, Medicare funds from covering abortion services. So there would be, like, this lengthy court fight to determine whether or not it can actually do what it says it's going to do. Not to mention, you mentioned economic issues. Like, what's going to happen to all the people who work for insurance companies? Because it's not just, like, a faceless entity where people aren't employed. Like, there are secretaries. There are janitors. There are people that are executives that are, have families. There are, chi- there are children of insurance executives who are in NYU film school right now. Right. <laughs> What will become of them? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying like. uh, First of all, absolutely, fuck NYU. (laughs) Secondly, uh, I I just think that that I'm not saying that single payer isn't a goal that people should move toward, but I think it's really naive to assume that you can just burn it all down. Aaron, I'm busting your balls. I mean, the thing. I don't have balls. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I am busting your ova. But, like, it, it is just that thing of the, a very, very nice idea. We have to realize, like, oh, there are so many people who want to say, like, oh, yeah, it seems impractical, but only because you're held back by your centrism and mediocrity. And it's like, we're not really going to do mediocre. anything. You're not mediocre. <laughs> have you seen me on stage? Um, but, like, we're, we're not going to do a thing that is going to make hundreds of thousands of people unemployed tomorrow. We may do it over the course of the next 20 years, but, like, we have to figure that out. Here's the thing. Uh, look, we, one of the lessons, though, to me of 2016 is that uh, too, of, it, too often we were behaving like a governing party when we weren't governing, and it prevented us from ha- getting the ability to govern. So what, what I find exciting about this is that it's a big idea. It's a, it's, it's a vision for the future. Now, I think that there's a question about how we would – a big, big question about how we would achieve something – this big, right? That's hard. It's really hard. And, and I don't think we need to have all the answers right now. I think Chris Murphy also introduced an interesting plan that's about making sure individuals and businesses can buy into Medicare. And I think that's a great way to get to access to Medicare for all 
uh, anyway, on the table as well. But one thing I think we, we need to do a better job of is saying, what, what, what is our, what is our, like, when we imagine a better future, what does it look like? Yes, you're totally right. We should, we need to fix what's wrong with Obamacare right now. I do not think Democrats lining up behind a vision for a healthcare for healthcare in the future where every single person has access to a public option like Medicare. I do not think that takes away from the ongoing bipartisan efforts to reform Obamacare. And I do think it's, it's, it's important to tell people, here's what we believe in. Because I think too often we've been afraid to do that. So what, even, you're, you're right. You know, there are parts of, the single payer is a huge lift and it is hard. And figuring out how to pay for it will be a giant problem. It'll be really tough. But at the same time, first of all, we already spend more per person than any other country on earth for healthcare, and we don't get better results for it. So while it's true that you end up maybe on the grand healthcare ledger, you shift more of the money from premiums and out-of-pocket expenses into the tax column. Uh, at the same time, as a country, we wouldn't necessarily spend a dollar more on healthcare. In fact, we might end up spending less. So, I just want—I just want like a guarantee that it isn't going to work like the DMV. <laughs> Honestly, I think you've been spending too much time with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> also, insurance companies already work like a much more expensive DMV. Yeah, yeah I think that I think that's right too. Honestly, I would, I would at, at this moment, I would rather go to the DMV. I think. Um, uh, but I do want better healthcare. Sweet. <laughs> when we come back, the Russia stuff. <laughs> Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. How can envy be a motivating force that inspires people? I don't know. I mean, Maybe look at look at Elon Musk. I mean, just you know, <laughs> envy makes the world go round. Envy and FOMO. That's basically it. That's a ba- yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's, Half, that's capitalism. <laughs> envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, Ooh. inspiring the world to raise the bar. Okay. And Angels Envy is a bourbon. That is worth the envy. Oh, I was wondering where we were going with this. Angel's Envy bends the traditional rules of whiskey. It's a little different from all other bourbons out there. This bourbon makes the perfect gift for any occasion. Angel's Envy are the pioneers of secondary finishing in bourbon and one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. With its unique bottle design, Angel's Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angels Envy Bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024, Angels Envy, bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. And we're back. Now for a segment we call the Russia stuff. Here's how it works. We put a two minute clock up because while it is Good to keep up with what's happening with the Russia stuff. For the most part, we should be focusing on other issues, as we all say to ourselves over and over again, that we can't be distracted by one crazy thing because we chose the other crazy thing to be the thing we're not going to be distracted from. A decision I don't always understand. Uh, But 
there have been some developments, and as always, we don't know what to do with them. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's terrible, but then we keep moving with, on with our lives. So, two minutes on the clock. Let's begin. The New York Times had an article this week that shared what happened when Trump found out in May that a special counsel had been appointed to investigate Russia. Apparently, he exploded, saying that choosing Jeff Sessions to be his attorney general was one of the worst decisions he had, he had ever made. He called him, quote, an idiot and said that he should resign. Uh, Sessions uh, did not uh, enjoy this experience. He called it... Uh, uh, the most humiliating experience in his professional life, as Brian Boitler pointed out on Twitter, this is someone who was denied a judgeship for being racist. Uh, so, I don't know how you make that, 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 that call. Uh, Sessions told the president he would resign and left the Oval Office, but by then, Mueller had been announced by the Justice Department, and some of Trump's advisors had intervened to save Sessions' job. Trump eventually returned the resignation letter to Sessions with a handwritten response on it. Uh, it was just a frowny face, and then signed, <laughs> signed Donald Trump. Meanwhile, as Mueller's team expands, it is questioning more people in the White House. They need to hire lawyers, which gets expensive. There are now legal defense funds that lobbyists can donate to <laughs> anonymously to cover legal fees for Trump's staffers in the Russia investigation. We have 46 seconds. Does anybody have a comment? I'm pro. <laughs> <laughs> Guy, what do you got? Uh, I just think it's crazy that Jeff Sessions is like the bulwark of American constitutionalism right now. Yeah. I also love that he's humiliated though, so I'm of two minds. And he's and everybody's like, "Oh, poor Jeff Sessions, he was humiliated." I'm like, I will never feel bad for that guy. Not one second. Like, ever. Um, in 1996, he made it illegal to have a gay club at the University of Alabama. <laughs> On Guy, September 5th, he went up on stage and rescinded DACA. Yep. Call him an idiot. And, he was, and he was like vibrating with joy when he did he it. He was. He was. He had he this had little grin time. on his face like, yeah. oh, I just wanted to reach across the TV and break him. <laughs> and that's I the Russian stuff. Coda to that section. Guy, I did not know that about the uh, University of Alabama Gay Club. At, at that point in time, uh, he said that talking about being gay was conspiracy to commit sodomy, which was illegal at the time. Um, so when they talk about uh, freedom of speech, let's always remember that. Hon honestly, I think that as a term of art, conspiracy to commit sodomy needs to be something people text each other more often. When we come back, a new segment, a new game called It Happens A Lot. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America's already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com enjoy your edible <laughs> legal disclaimer paid for by vote save america votesaveamerica.com not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee 
Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at a dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Now for a segment called, it happens a lot. Earlier this week, Ted Cruz woke up to find himself. (laughs) Why not? What? Why can't we talk about it? There's no rule. Oh, we should talk about serious stuff. I'm just kidding. This is a segment about uh, a disagreement on on, uh, Bloomberg about cost outlays in the out years of Medicare. (laughs) It's not. Uh, uh, (laughs) Early... Uh, Ted Cruz woke up, woke up to find himself trending on Twitter for accident, accidentally liking a two-minute porn clip. He, of course, blamed an unnamed staff member named Bed Bruce. That was weird. Named Fred, Fred Trues. Uh, and explained that it was an honest mistake. No, it couldn't have been. Uh, anyway, uh, it's 2017. This kind of thing is happening more and more. Uh, uh, Aaron actually wrote a piece about the what po- what politicians do uh, when yeah. they accidentally tweet or post porn on the right. internet. So the original headline on it was "So you've been caught jerking off," but my editor changed it so you've been uh, to "So you've been caught watching porn on the internet," which mm-hmm. sucks. It should be "So you've been caught jerking off." Uh, did you? I thought it was kind of sweet that like one of the girls in the in the video looked a little bit like Heidi. I was like, that's kind of sweet. <laughs> You That's studied so this. You studied this. Oh my god. That's you know what though? I really like that because that is a very uh, generous read of like <laughs> of the whole thing. Anyway, we're gonna play a game. Basically, we have three real excuses people have offered for when they've posted porn by accident and one that we have made up ourselves. Would anyone like to play? It happens a lot. Uh, somebody pick a friend of the pod, but go deep if there's a... They need, to be in a sh- they need to be in merch, but I've always favored the front, but someone over here is pointing. That seems fine. It works, it works. You can, they came from San Diego. So did we. It's not a contest. Hi, what's your name? Emily. Emily, hi, how's it going? Good. And you're from San Diego? Yes. And you came here? Just for you. And then who pointed at you? My sister. Your sister. That's nice. And she's wearing... I need merch. She's wearing... Com- what does it say? Calmer than you? Calmer than you are. So it's like... Oh, I see. Oh, calmer than you are. That's right. I remember that. Calmer than you are. I got it. I got it. Uh, so, Emily. Yes. Here's how it works. We're going to read some quotes to you. Three of them are real excuses. One of them is one that we made up. It is your job to suss out... The fake excuse, if you do this correctly, you will win a parachute gift card. Oh, man. I will go first. Are you ready for one of these excuses? Yes, I'm very nervous, though. 
Don't, don't be nervous. The consequences are minimal. <laughs> I was just sitting there, bored as they were debating the abortion bill. I opened it up and said, holy shit, what's on my screen? And clicked away from it right away. You don't have to decide now. Okay. <laughs> That's the first one. Keep okay. that in your mind. Julissa, right. you're up. Okay. This is a Twitter hoax prank that was done. I'm a victim of it. Victim of a Twitter hoax prank. Okay. That's number two. Aaron, you are up. <clears throat> this was a joke that's not lost on my followers who know that I always hide Easter eggs in my posts. Obviously, this was a little salacious. Someone claiming that it was a hidden meaning All right. for the true fans. <laughs> Guy, you're up. Curious by nature, I wanted to set, uh, test the suggestion that somehow, lurking out in the pornographic world, there is some evil operator waiting for the one in gazillion chance that a candidate for federal office would go to that particular website and thereby be infected with a virus that would cause his or her FEC, in brackets, Federal Election Commission, data file to crash the FEC file application each time that it was located on the day of the filing deadline, as well as impact other critical campaign <laughs> systems. Well, the Geek Squad text testified to me after servicing thousands of computers at the Bailey Crossroads location that they had never seen any, any computer using their signature virus protection for the time period to acquire over 4,800 viruses, 300 of which would require reinstallation of the operating system. <laughs> Thank you, Guy, for that reading. So I guess we could summarize that as to say, I looked at porn. <laughs> but uh, I suppose that was a sting operation gone bad. <laughs> Emily, the time has come for you to choose which of these was fake. Oh, it's man. tough. It is tough. It's tough. Uh, I couldn't even keep up with what's going on in number four, so I'm going to go with number four. <laughs> Emily? No. You have lost. <laughs> Uh, but I, I will tell you, you will receive the consolation prize of a gift card to parachute. <laughs> but you're still getting the gift card. But then I did this to you. So it's a mixed bag. Give it up for Emily. When we come back, I'm going to sit down with the Lieutenant Governor of Washington, Cyrus Habib. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com. Enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back. 
Joining me uh, is the Lieutenant Governor of Washington. He presides over the State Senate, serves as acting governor when the governor is out of the state. That's kind of cool. Could do a coup. Maintains a portfolio <laughs> of issues including veteran and disability, employment, access to higher education, economic development, trade and international relationships. That was a, mount, mount, a mouthful I wish I hadn't said. He's also the first and only Iranian-American official to hold statewide elective office in the U.S. Please welcome Cyrus Habib. Thank Hi, you. Cyrus. Thank you. Hey, John. Get the mic closer. Thank you. All right, all right, all right. All right. Good to be here with you. It's great. Uh, so you just came back from China. I did. I did. And I'm really, really glad I got to catch up on the news through your show earlier today. So thank you for that. I was petrified. Like, I did not study as hard as Emily. And, <laughs> and, and, and she didn't win. So I was, I was worried I would lose this interview. Uh, so one of the things you work on is veteran and disability, disability yeah. uh, and employment. Um, right now, there's a debate going on about the Americans with Disability Act under the Trump administration, and Congress is considering uh, uh, reforming education around the ADA. Uh, can you explain what's going on with this right now and how it affects people at the local level? You're just trolling me with a really hard federal question. <laughs> no, you know I work at the state level. Um, well, for the, for the countless listeners who, who aren't here, um, one thing that... Uh, that, that matters and, and relates to my interest on this is that I myself am fully blind. Uh, I became blind at age eight, and so I, I actually, um, shortly after uh, uh, becoming blind, the ADA was enacted. So it's, it's been there for almost my entire life as a person with a disability. I benefited from federal law growing up, um, other laws that protect students with disabilities. This is a very important issue. Um, for me, I, I, I do want to say actually that I particularly like this format because uh, a live podcast where there's no cameras is, is kind of like blind TV. Right? Like everyone, everyone out there is kind of like, what's going on? Somebody just did something funny, but I can't see it. I'm listening on the show. Uh, so it's, it's, you all know where I'm coming from. This is like life every single day. In a way, um, that's fascinating to me because in a way, you were riding the podcast train right, when you way watched before. The Sopranos. Right, right, when... exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was an audiophile. Uh, so like your listeners don't even know that I'm like this young, cool politician who brought a beer up on stage. I just wanted to say that for them because they don't get to know that. Very cool. They were watching on TV. They would know that about what a, me. What a relatable guy. Uh, but no, you know, but, but the Betsy DeVos, you know, it's, it, it is, this is, um, as you said earlier, um, you know, we, there's always this kind of reality TV show cartoonish uh, element to the Trump administration, so we get distracted so easily. Um, and, and we're right to be up in arms about all the outrageous things he says and does. Um, but then it's, it's actually what's going on at the cabinet level, and the Department of Education is one of the most concerning areas. And, and it's not one that we should be surprised about, because if you, you, know, if you go back to uh, her Senate confirmation, a lot of these issues came out, um, her, her, you know, her previous views on students with disabilities, and uh, particularly the IDEA and federal law around uh, students with disabilities. It, it's, it's a huge problem because as much as, you know, I, I as a person of color am always talking about the opportunity gap for students of color, um, the, the opportunity gap for students with disabilities is profound. Um, and in a lot of ways, um, it's less convenient to talk about kids with disabilities because we're not always sure um, how much we should really be expecting of them in the first place, and so it's a it's a harder thing to talk about than some other categories. What are some of the What are some of the obstacles that you're talking about? What are some of the things that make it harder? 
Well, it's so there's always this desire to be uh, compassionate, right? And and not to. And I know we've got some teachers here in, in the audience. So at some point, I think that the, there will be a redemption of Emily, um, because but teachers just, just know, to fill in the crowd because we were in break is Emily uh, who did lose. Uh, is a teacher of American history, but then again, these weren't American history facts. These were facts about about weird about about weird excuses for looking at porn, which I'm glad you don't know about. Frankly, that's right. You're with kids that's all our day. American porn education is, system. Porn working. is an important thread in the history of this nation. Yeah. Thank you, guy. <laughs> but I'll tell you. So, like, so, so, just to use my own personal experience. Um, you know, I, I became blind at age eight. By the way, that happened in 1989, which means all eight years I could see took place in the 1980s. <laughs> so all my visual memories are from the 1980s. So everyone still looks like Cindy Lauper and Boy George. Uh, it's, uh, but, 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 you know, shortly after I became blind, I mean, I was in school and there were, there were countless episodes in which uh, out of just benign compassion... Um, you know, teachers would, would want to make sure that I wasn't, you know, that I didn't feel bad, that I wasn't, you know, unable to do something. And so, um, so there was this kind of, these, these kind of lowered expectations that were there. On the other hand, you know, there's this, there's this opposite extreme where you just kind of throw a kid in and say, well, whatever, Cyrus did it, so why can't you do it? And, and it's just highly individualistic, each kid's needs. Um, that's why, you know, we call them individual education plans, IEPs. So it's just extremely difficult. Whereas, um, as, as you know, seemingly intractable as some of the, the racial inequalities are and economic inequalities, we actually know what works, um, and we know that it can work um, at, a, at, a, at a kind of scalable level. We just haven't had the courage and the commitment to put the resources into solving those problems. And these problems are, are, in many ways, even more challenging. What are, one of the things uh, you work on is... Uh, College, uh, uh, college affordability and other kinds of higher education for people from rural communities. I think Democrats at the national level have been talking a lot about how we've become a party of people in the cities. What is this issue and, and how does it relate to sort of appealing to people outside of whatever big metropolitan areas like Seattle? I'm really glad you asked because, you know, Washington State, I mean, we're, we're known, um, you know, we've got Amazon. We are, we are taking over your world. Um, you know, and we're known, you know, we're known for kind of our booming economy in Seattle, but we do also have, you know, as in some ways California does too, we have, you know, a diverse state, diverse economy, and we have struggling areas, post-industrial areas, um, agricultural areas, and, and, and we have opiate um, addiction challenges and, and other things, same things that you, you find in, in the Rust Belt and other parts of the country. Um, my feeling is that both parties have, in a way, been derelict. Uh, I am a Democrat. I happen to believe the Republicans have been far more derelict. But here's, here's what I mean. The Republican Party, particularly under Trump, has, seems to have this feeling that we will have shared prosperity in this country if we cut taxes drastically, particularly on the wealthy, kick out the immigrants, um, and, and deregulate on the environment. Um, we have better ideas on the left, and they're ideas I support, like having a living wage, uh, you know, paid family medical leave so that families can, you know, continue to work and, and not lose their jobs and their livelihoods. But, but we also, neither party uh, is addressing the issue of economic mobility, which is how do you give people a chance to end up in a better position than their parents' generation? And college does that. And in fact, you know, I really push back against something you hear a lot these days, and you hear it in both parties, which is college isn't for everyone. College isn't for everyone. 
And what's perverse about that to me is the person saying that almost certainly went to college, <laughs> right? And they almost certainly are sending their kid to college. And so it's not the case, I'm going to look really, really kind of um, like uh, an Angelino here. It's not like what they're saying is that people at Harvard Westlake shouldn't send their kids to Harvard, but should, you know, rather think about the virtues of, of the construction and building trades. That, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is there's a bunch of kids out there that we don't have the money to help go to college or to give good K-12 education to to be on the track to college. But you know what? We'll just excuse ourselves from that problem and say college isn't for everybody. And, it, and I, I just resent it because I know that if college isn't for everyone, it's almost certainly not for a three-time cancer-surviving, fully-blind Iranian-American from a mixed-religion immigrant family. And, and, I, and, and so I just take it, I take it very personally. That That's what last, it's about. That yeah. last part was pandering, and I'm uh, so, uh, all of you applauding to be ashamed. Right, no, I'm leaving right. it in. Yeah, all right. <laughs> leaving it in. Hi, Cyrus, it's good to see you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you wanted me to say good to see you, too, so that you could then... Uh, I didn't even do that on purpose. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have fun blind jokes. That's what that was, yeah. a little bit of a... But this is, I want to say one thing, it is, it is fun for me to be, an, as an Iranian-American, um, I would say this is like our Mecca, but I don't, I don't it's just too soon. Um, but uh, it is wonderful to be here, uh, here in L.A. Uh, Cyrus, Cyrus, the best thing about being in L.A. is going to the supermarket in March and being like, why the fuck is there a goldfish all the gold right fish, there? All the goldfish. Protect the goldfish from the Persians. That's right. Honestly, People that are was... laughing nervously because they don't know what we're talking about. I, I, it's, I, it's a, I am one of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. You're, you're having your Emily moment too, John. It's fine. You know? Oh, no. And Emily, uh, now it's like a branded thing. <laughs> now it's something we're going to have to make shirts about. Cyrus, before we let you go, I did yeah. want to play a pop quiz with you. Oh, you are a lieutenant governor. Uh, it is time for you to play our, uh, our famous lieutenant governor quiz. All right. How, how did Gavin do? Uh, he's not been on. Okay. All right. All right. But he's on our list. All right. Cyrus, yes, your sir. question first. All right. How many states have lieutenant governors? Is it A, 37, B, 45, or C, 49? 45. That is correct. Uh. Now I'm going to read you the names of three presidents. <laughs> you have to tell me if they were a lieutenant governor or not beforehand. Cyrus. Gavin Newsom. No. Uh. Was Chester A. Arthur a lieutenant governor? Why? Why would we ever want to be affiliated with Chester B. Arthur? Come on. I don't know anything. I okay, just, right, I just remember right. him from the movie Die Hard with a Vengeance. Right. He, has a, he plays an oddly plot-critical role in that <laughs> film. You know the guy in the front row knows what I'm talking about. Because he was 21. 30, he was 21 out of 42. 21 out of 42. I, uh, I don't know what you're He wasn't. About. All right. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> you know what? I did not handle this question right. And that's fine. Cyrus, I'm going to tell you, you've gotten both right. Warren... <laughs> Warren G. Harding was, and Calvin Coolidge was. Did you know that? I knew about Coolidge. I did not know about Harding. He's probably the worst U.S. president. So it, there's, there's, I'd like to just wipe yeah, I know. that from the record. Uh, I, cool middle name, though. Gamaliel. Is that, <laughs> what? Is that true? Yes. All right. All right, okay. 
Uh, He's making hand gestures like, that's not true. But don't uh, no, 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 it, it is true. Also, yeah. I feel like war, war, saying something like Warren G. Harding was our worst president is the kind of thing that at this moment in American history is sort of tempting the fates. Oh, God, right. Um, so, but I, yeah. but I think you yes. could, that at the airing, li- likely by the time this airs, that will still be true. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, your final question. Uh, while Lieutenant Governor of Alabama, Lieutenant Governor Steve Windham feared that the Democratic majority would take his powers as presiding officer of the Senate if he left the chambers. So what did he do? Not leave the chambers? He did one thing to make sure that he did not have to leave the chamber. There's no multiple choice. He he brought in a porta potty. Very close, very close. Uh, He decided to discreetly urinate into a bottle behind his desk. (laughs) Cyrus, I have a question. We can do that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what? what? But Cyrus, only on a podcast where there's no cameras, right? I mean, that Cyrus, you could be the first blind Iranian American elected to statewide office to pee in a jar. That's right. And your office, that could be something that happens for you. And and this is why you you have a history of political consulting and guiding candidates to outstanding victories with that type of guidance. Uh. <laughs> Guys, give I it up. Don't let Gavin Newsom do that, all right? Please, I don't. <laughs> Guys, give it up. He, uh, Cyrus Habib, he's so smart. He's a, such you. a great, not just a friend of mine, someone I think is a great leader for Democrats. So give it up for Cyrus. All right, thank Everybody. you. Thanks a lot, buddy. Okay, can I give that to you? Yeah. Right. When we come back, okay, stop. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com enjoy your edible <laughs> legal disclaimer paid for by vote save america vote save not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee and we're back now for okay stomp <laughs> look i don't know if we should watch this because it's like whatever but who cares Obviously, this week, there's been a controversy uh, around uh, Jamel Hill on ESPN and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders threatening to saying that she should be fired from the podium of the White House briefing room because she doesn't have better things to fucking do. Uh, someone, uh, someone named Clay Travis from Fox Sports went on CNN to talk with Brooke Baldwin. It was a pretty absurd clip. Uh, so we're going to watch it. And as we go, we're going we're gonna to stop it to talk about it. That's it. That's all there is to it. All right. You guys ready to watch the clip? All right. And that had absolutely nothing to do with sports. And they said, look, you can't have this opinion. It's too conservative. We're not going to allow it. I think that's a bad move. I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I believe in only two things completely, the First Amendment and booze. Okay, stop. (laughs) 
<laughs> the sex haver has logged on. Uh, this guy is, I'm not sure. I, I, I feel like I'm really tempted to, to maybe reciprocally make fun of his sexual, sexual proclivities, but I, I don't know if he would know what to do with a boob. I feel like people who say things like, I believe in two things in this world, freedom of speech and boobs, is um, uh, not someone who says things to other people aloud a lot. Yeah, well, the, yeah. I don't think he talks to very many humans. I think that he looks at a lot of, like, 11-year-old boys high-fiving in, like, a lunchroom. I also think that's the kind of thing you say when you're the kind of person who takes a gym selfie in the mirror and then text it through a dating app, you know? Yeah, I think, I think that if you're the sort of person who, uh, if you tell a joke and nobody laughs because they're being polite because it was a bad joke, you just keep repeating it louder and louder <laughs> until you're yelling it, and everybody is asking you to leave the gymboree. <laughs> um, I, I think that there are many ways that our, the founders of this nation failed us. Um, and one of them is that when they had the opportunity, they protected one of those things, but not the other. Oh my God, imagine if it were constitutionally enshrined that it was like, you know what? Boobs. And you could just... I mean, Aaron, I would say a significant amount of your professional career has been advancement of trying to get our constitution to protect women's bodies. That, that is, <laughs> Can you that imagine is, what it would have been like if it had been there since 1789? That would, that would be amazing. Like, let's just throw uteruses in there and I am fine. And you know, it's tragic because uh, Benjamin Franklin was... A TNA type, you know? He, he was, was famous boob aficionado. He, he was. was actually Franklin-esque, this I've never, guy. I've never said TNA before. I'm never going to say it again. I didn't know what to say, but I wasn't going to say the actual thing because I'm a gentleman. <laughs> and we curse here, but no, we're not vulgar. We're crass, but we're not... Vu- Wait, we're vulgar, but we're not crass. <laughs> Let's keep watching the clip. So once they made the decision... Okay, stop. Before we hear the rest of that, I just want, I just want Cyrus and everybody listening at home <laughs> to understand that the audience is reacting to Brooke Baldwin's face. <laughs> You're welcome, Cyrus. <laughs> and, and Sports-related commentary. They hi, couldn't hold on, do it hold on, either. hold on. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly as a woman anchoring the show. Did you say, what did you say? You yeah. believe in the First Amendment and BWBS? Boobs. Two things that have only never let me down in this entire country's history. The First Amendment and Okay, stop. I just... He leads into it because... You know what it, you know what it is? He went, for a, he went for a line, like a real line. He went for... And okay, it, that morning he got out of his race car bed. And he went... <laughs> and he went to his full-length Transformers mirror... And he looked in it, and he looked at himself in the eyes, and he practiced that joke. And he was like, this is going to land. And then it didn't, and now he's, like, just doing it over and over again. I mean, like, this is why I hate straight guys. Because they think they are allowed to pull shit like that, and everybody just has to be like, oh, sure, they're in charge of things, let's keep moving along. And it's why, like, thank God for lady anchors. I know it will probably take 
like hundreds of years before we are able to like completely chip away at the patriarchy. Um, but the fact that she got to like eye roll him made me very happy. <laughs> yeah, Brooke's doing great. To come on CNN and to say something like the only thing I believe in in a discussion I'm about just, something. I'm substance, still there substance, too, substance. and I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. B O O Z E or B O O B S? Because yeah. as a woman, I'm I'm. I'm as in boobs, I believe completely in the First Amendment. And in boobs. Those are the only two things I believe 100% in in this country. And okay, way, stop. He remember- really just dug and dug and dug. He just kept on digging. He's like, what about my pithy little fun line that I worked on? Don't you understand? Well, also, how much, like, how much more sympathies you have for the female sports journalist at the center of this question right. that she's been having to deal with this shit. It's like, she didn't show up to your offices and shoot all of you assholes. You should be thanking God. Yeah, he's like, he's like D-grade red state John Hamm. <laughs> I believe completely in the First Amendment and in boobs. Those are the only two things I believe 100% in in this country. And by the way, Jamel has Why are absolutely you nothing here? to do with Okay, stop. Room. My boobs do not believe in him. <laughs> um, I also think that this little trifecta that we're looking at is a perfect like, encapsulation of the American state right now. We have a white guy over here being a fucking dick. We've got a woman in the middle like, oh my God, you're being such a dick. We've got a guy on the left who is not white being like, what is this white guy doing? You can say a black guy. I wanted to be more inclusive than just one specifically (laughs) black. I would like to make another important point. Um, Clay Travis is clearly not wearing camera makeup right now. He is very reflective. And it is clearly because he thinks that makeup is for fags. Um, And I would just like to... Repeat in saying, fuck him. <laughs> Let's finish the clip. And speak oh, about, I, listen, did you notice that? He went straight to that. Yeah, you're, you're I, absolutely I, right. I, I, did go, guys, I did go straight to that. Why would you even it, say that live on national television and with a female host? I say it live on the radio all the time because it's true and that's what I do. Guys, because I like you don't get that thing. that's what Clay Travis does. <laughs> That's what you get. You sign up for Clay Travis, you know that you're signing up for a guy that believes in two things. And he's going to tell you about it all the time. It's actually the only two things he can say. It's just bad opinions with, like, flames painted on the sides. (laughs) Also, as an Angelina, let me say, many of the best boobs are lies. You, you shouldn't believe in them. They're made of something else. Before we move on, I do think we can pause to talk about the fact that this was ostensibly about the fact that the uh, White House press secretary tried to get an ESPN, uh, uh, an ESPN commentator fired for saying something true uh, about Donald Trump uh, because it was so offensive and inappropriate when Donald Trump has hosted Ted Nugent and other, assorted, other assorted villains at the White House who have said far worse things about previous presidents about the fact that Donald Trump called Barack Obama racist and led a birther camp. Anyway, I don't know. And also, what a, this is a... That's all. 
And also, by the way, like, you have all these people being like, First Amendment, why can't Ben Shapiro go talk at Berkeley without there being protests? First Amendment. But then when you have a black woman exercising her right for the First Amendment, then the White House calls no, for no, her no. to No, no, no. Here's fired. the thing about the First Amendment, though, is it covers it free speech as long as they agree with me personally. That's what the First Amendment... And, and when I mean me personally, I mean, like, if I'm literally that guy. That's what the First Amendment covers, is agreeing with him. I don't have anything else to say about that guy. Guy, do you have anything else about these people? Um, my only question, like, it used to be that people wouldn't do re- stuff like that for political reasons, but when does Trump trying to stop speech become state action? You had somebody speaking, like, the, the White House press secretary speaking for the president was saying that somebody should be punished for an opinion that they, they espoused. Like, at what point in time does this actually run into the First Amendment and, like, this shit becomes... Like, it's... We're just in a legal nightmare. Everywhere, everywhere we turn, the Constitution is on fire. When we come back, the rant wheel. (laughs) And we're back. Now for the rant wheel, uh, you know how it works. We spin the wheel, we rant about wherever it lands. This week we have uh, evil bros. Uh, the fact that no one is talking about the earthquake in Mexico. We have advertising algorithms, which have been in the news this week. Electronic ballots. Ivanka's interview about her role as an advisor. Uh, Ex-Trump people on talk shows. An audience suggestion. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on ex-Trumpers. I don't know about ex-Trumpers. Anyway, it's landed on ex-Trump people on talk shows. Spicer on Kimmel. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for shouting Spicer on Kimmel. Did you guys see Spicer on Kimmel? No. I deliberately am avoiding this because I I feel like there's been this period of time they're all kind of completely sacrificing their dignity in order to work for this terrible person. And then... The fact that they get a second act at all, the fact that we're like, oh, it's fine, is kind of obscene to me. I don't think that we should give them a second. I think that they, okay, so I'm Catholic. I think they should need to serve penance, like a legit <laughs> penance, where there's like a year where we're all like shunning them and like yeah, instilling like, shame. Like we can't just have you on a late night talk show again where it's like, well, now you're cool. Because you're not cool. You were never fucking cool because yeah. you joined that administration. Pick up a hammer, go stand next to John Edwards and build a fucking house. Uh, don't don't go on Kimmel plea bargain. Like like I, I am excited that Trump is creating all of these like uh, angry ex employees. I just want one of them to go to Mueller and like tell him something good that will. I mean, maybe they already did though. I mean, that's a hope and prayer. But I, I just hate that like we have to go be chill with people because they come on Colbert and take a joke. And it's like, no, there should be war crimes tribunals for this. <laughs> and, yeah. All, all ex-Trumpers, they should just go to like that new Trump TV Facebook thing. That, oh, the prisoner I don't know TV where they look but like they they're all just, hostage they, videos. They should just all go there. Like they that's should. where they, that's, that's like where the green pasture is for them. Yeah, they should be in a room that has the, this Trump, Pence, step and repeat on all four walls. Yeah. And just once a day the camera turns on and then twice a day a slot opens and a 
fucking let's move Michelle Obama meal slides under. Yeah. <laughs> there, should, there should be a decontamination period where they just have to go somewhere where it's like you got six months and you can't talk to anybody. Like decontamination. You, yeah, you, you, can't, to, you can't spread it to other people. You have right. To if you move too quickly from the Trump environment to the real world, you get the bends. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. You know, it's like this is, you know, we talked about this, uh, that, that it was inevitable that when someone like Spicer left the White House that they would just be welcomed back into sort of DC culture with open arms. And of course, now he's on his speaking tour and he's going to maybe write his book and he's going on Kimmel. And I get why Kimmel would have him on. Like, that's fine. But it is, it is true that these people sold their country out to do this job. And they did something deeply wrong. And I think... Uh, they shouldn't be let off the hook for this. And by the way, Sean Spicer isn't even one of the people leaking on a daily basis to Axios that they're trying to save America from Trump. He was just a guy that went to the podium every day. He doesn't even have a bullshit. He doesn't even have a bullshit explanation. It's not like Sean Spicer was stopping terrible policies. He's not in the he's not in the he's not in the uh, in the in the situation room. He's just at the podium being like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, just like the podium to his special crying closet, which is what I picture to be where else he spent his time. Don't bother Sean. He's in his weeping chamber. Let's spin it again. It has landed on audience suggestion. Does anyone have something? Steve Mnookin. That's a great one. That's a great one. Steve fucking Mnookin. So... I don't know if you saw this, but apparently Steve Mnookin, who famously, uh, with his wife, uh, the model and biggest quote fingers you can fucking make with your hand, actress, (laughs) end quote, Louise Linton, uh, took a government jet to Fort Knox to watch the eclipse, which put him on the radar of people being like, why the fuck? And anyway, apparently Steve Mnookin requested Air Force transport to his fucking honeymoon. <laughs> God's applauding. He's applauding the chutzpah, or as uh, some might say, chutzpah, <laughs> to do that. And then, of course, he then... Ch- this is so, so that was the report. The report was that he was requested it. Someone was like, what? No. And then he clearly, he and his... Uh, wife, and that's, you know, we, no one has access to the inside of what looks like a very real relationship, uh, uh, went on their, our, their journey to sit at beautiful vistas and not know what to say to one another. And, um, <laughs> but then anyway, this was reported. And then of course he tweeted, I did not take an Air Force plane on my honeymoon. That's fake news. No one said you did. No one said you said you did, Manukin. Fucking Manukin. You look at that. Some people are just exactly as sleazy as they look. I think that they're like the least likable couple in America and you almost have to admire it because they're both like, they've covered all these different bases. It's like, oh yeah, he's like this this kind of slimy ex-Wall Street guy. Okay, check. We've got this uh, entitled, much younger Scottish actress who sucks at acting. Check. She's super mean. She like, bullies people for being poor on Instagram, the least, the least dignified place to bully people. And she, uh, you know, and, and then she tries to apologize alongside a spread in a magazine called, I think, Washington Life, which is a magazine. Uh, and she's wearing ball, a ball gown and being like, you know what, I realize it's ironic that I'm apologizing for being so awesome while wearing a ball gown, but I'm so sorry. Anyway, they're awful. They're awful. And also, why does he have so many teeth? He has so much more teeth than a normal person should have, and it goes across his whole face like Jack Skellington. 
I, for one, am thrilled that American politics finally has something like an evil baroness. Um, and despite what you say, Aaron Gloria Ryan, I know damn good and well you want to read a book written by that woman's stepchildren. And also, like, I absolutely do. This is like bigger than Steve and his Barbie wife. This is like rich people wanting to get everything for free. Like celebrities, you know, they want to stay at the hotel for free. They get offended if they get a bill at the restaurant. Like you have money. Pay for your own damn honeymoon. Yeah, but the best thing about that whole situation was that, you know, when, when she, when Louise Whit- Linton made that Instagram post and she, was wearing, she like hashtagged all the designers, all the designers were like, no, no, no. We had nothing to do with it, which is like, I'm not famous enough to get these for free, which yeah. is like the absolute best. Also, yep. I'm not going to lie. Like if I get to 10,000 uh, Instagram followers, people send me stuff for free. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the, now, the other part about this is offensive. Is Instagram is one of the places with very little bullying. You know, it's one of the bastions. It's not as bad. Are you as, serious? It's not as bad as Twitter. I, all I use Instagram for is bullying celebrities. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. Uh, I would say Instagram is just passive bullying of trying to make your life look as fabulous as possible so that your friends feel bad about like how poorly lit they are. Okay. No. <laughs> That's, that's true, but I think when I say bullying celebrities, I mean, like, if Kim Kardashian posts a picture of her, like, wearing, uh, like, a tube top, you just respond, tube top much? <laughs> and if she's in front of a plant, you go, plant much? <laughs> that's how I bully celebrities on Instagram. I thought you were busier. <laughs> I, I really, I find the time. It's a passion for me. Let's spin it one more time. It has landed on Evil Bros. Uh, it has been a week of Evil Bros. Uh, Aaron, I know this was something you were passionate about. Who were some of the Evil Bros that were on your mind? Oh my God, there's so many bros I would like to thank for being evil and getting what was coming for, to them this week. Uh, Martin Shkreli, the pharma bro. Uh, he, just this week, had his bail revoked because he posted a Facebook uh, plea to his fans. Uh, asking that he, he offered $5,000 if one of his fans could pluck from Hillary Clinton's uh, ha- like head a hair on her, like during her book tour, if they could pull a hair off of her head. So which is disgusting and not something I saw in time. Yeah, it's... I'm not... Well, anyway, it, so it was a... It was a <laughs> so he, I don't like Martin Scully, but I don't hate $5,000. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that would be awesome. And then, like, you donate it to like the Martin Shkreli Stay in Jail Forever Fund or whatever. Um, Yeah. Can I say, as a a former consultant on the television program Punked, um, (laughs) that pranks are just crimes committed by heterosexual white men, eighteen to thirty-four. I think that's true. I think that's true. Well, okay. So there's a second. There's a second uh, subset of evil bros. The two Google Bros who founded Bodega. Okay, first of all... I want to talk about it. They invented vending machines. <laughs> like, what if you... Okay, what if you could just have a... What if... It, okay, take a vending machine, but make it more complicated. Involve a phone. So that was what Bodega was, but they did, they did this interview with Fast Company where they said, you know, they were going to make the mom-and-pop store obsolete, but it turns out a lot of people really like their mom-and-pop stores, and so they were kind of like, fuck you. Uh, the, the firestorm, the blowback was so intense that they were forced to apologize. And now, like, VCs, if you call them, a venture capitalist groups, if you call them up and ask them about Bodega, they'll hang up on you. It's, it's become completely toxic. Third bro, 
Paul Ryan, the first bro speaker of the house in American history, uh, has really gotten, to borrow a Donald Trump phrase, schlonged. This week, I think he's. I think he's like watching him try to kind of retroactively explain Donald Trump's actions in terms of things that are rational and good. Is like, um, if you have a friend who has like a terrible girlfriend or boyfriend, and like they storm out of a bar in front of everybody, and then your friend is sitting there alone, like, well, she had a really hard week at work. <laughs> That's Paul Ryan every single day with Donald Trump. Yeah, that that basically being a Trump surrogate or ally is just the world's most elaborate shit-eating contest. And they all just spend seven days a week eating shit on television. No days off, no cheat days, shit every fucking day. I'd imagine you get used to it after a while. (laughs) I hope they don't. I want to go back to this uh, startup bodega because what the fuck... (laughs) Like, who goes, who goes to a small store in New York, like, that's not, that his, one of the rare places that's not been absorbed by some mega corporation where, like, you get a soda on your way home or you can make guys get a sandwich, like, this has to fucking stop. <laughs> what do you got? You seem to be bothered by this bodega I am so bothered by it because it's like you're trying to kill this thing, but you still want to keep the name. You're like, I'm still going to call this virtual thing a bodega. They even had a cat as a logo. Like a little bodega cat was the logo of bodega. That, by the way, was one of my rant wheel things, was people who hate cats who've never met a cat. (laughs) You know what? You know what, Julissa? I would like you to tell me why I'm wrong to hate cats. Because you know what kind of animal I can't fucking stand? cats. If I wanted if I wanted another withholding creature in my life, I'd get a fucking person. Dogs love you. They love you when you come. They're just excited to see you. And it's like, "Oh, what are you simplistic?" Yes. It's not my it's not my fault cats don't like you. So t- <laughs> You know what? If I wasn't comfortable with creep people not liking people and animals not liking me, I couldn't do this. Anyways, the bodega I'm- thing. Back to the bodega thing. It is. First of all, this virtual bodega can give me a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich in the morning when I'm trying to get to work. So, like, no. I want the real bodega with the cat that comes and, like, purrs on my leg. That's the one I want. Oh, I don't want to. I don't. I, <laughs> that part's not cool to Well, me. you can go to Dwayne Reed. <laughs> I, I honestly think most of these Silicon Valley guys don't actually think these things are ever going to happen. I think that there's just, they believe that one of their class prerogatives is to come up with some shitty idea, hand it to a VC, and then get $5 million handed back so they can get a nice place outside of San Jose. Like, it's just a wheel of class. And we're not going to stop the wheel, we're going to break the wheel. We're not. We're not. I do all of this ranting about class prerogatives, but I am a white guy with my own TV show, so I'm doing fine. Yeah, you're class traitor, Guy Branham. <laughs> what are you doing, Guy? Don't tell him about this shit. It's not a class thing. We're gay. We're, we're not part of it. Exactly. We're not part of the problem. We just look like and we're trained to be part of the problem. Uh, for the next 35 minutes, Guy and I will be having a discourse on covering. <laughs> <laughs> and gay voice. I want to thank our panel, Julissa Arce, Aaron Gloria Ryan, 
Guy Brown, I want to thank Lieutenant Governor of Washington, Cyrus Habib. I'm going to stick around and do a little Q&A, but I want to thank our panel, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, I'll do a couple questions and then we'll wrap it up. I think we have some time. Yeah. What's your name? Mallory. Hi, Mallory. Hi, I can see you. There, I got you me. now. <laughs> um, Talking Mallory. Yeah. Eyes on Mallory. Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. Hi. <laughs> I was just wondering, you guys have been talking a lot about Trump with the, the recent DACA deal and other things that he's been motivated by, like, the good headlines he's got and the good press reception. And I'm just kind of curious, like, you're someone who has been in politics and worked around a lot of politicians for a long time. Like, is that not what, like, a lot of politicians are motivated by? Like, what do you find politicians are motivated by for real, generally? <laughs> that's a great, so that's a great question. I think, I think it's a matter of degree. So on the Trump side of it, uh, it is both deeply disturbing, not only, A, how receptive he is to headlines, but also B, just how malleable he is based on the kind of headlines he receives. It's pretty clear that right now, the fact that uh, John Kelly, the new chief of staff, has changed the information flow to the Oval Office, has fundamentally changed the way Donald Trump is behaving. That's really troubling, and that's in part because he has no core beliefs. It's partly because he's a dotty old racist. Uh, so he is that kind of uh, affected by what he sees. You know, I would say for the most part, politicians in Washington are motivated by a combination of a deep, deep hole inside of their hearts, uh, which compels them to seek approval, accolades, power, and attention, as well as a sincere desire to do good in the world. That's true. Like, I do think that th those are the things that kind of battle it out for a lot of these people. And one of the one of the interesting things that I feel like this is probably a pretty good gloss on DC, which is it's a giant mechanism for turning human flaws into, into positive, <laughs> into positive democratic outcomes, right? These are all people like hustling for a combination of selfish interest and a desire to do some good. That's not all of them. You know, there are heinous uh, villains and monsters in human suits wandering around the Capitol at all times uh, with a greater preponderance of them currently represented inside of the administration. And then there are people captured by ideology or captured by financial interest and they're just sort of lost souls and they're there too. Um, but uh, it's a mix. That's it. I just think Donald, Donald Trump being so thoroughly motivated by, uh, by, by the press and the polls is an extreme of something you see every day. Hi. What's uh, your name? Dan. Hi, Dan. So before Steve Bannon unceremoniously exited the White House, he talked about how uh, a lot of the you know, cabinet positions uh, were selected to effectively deconstruct the various departments that they were put in charge of. So my question is, which one should we be most worried about given things percolating in the national discourse right now? Who poses the greatest danger? Yeah, I think that's an actually... I feel like it's an easy one. Jeff Sessions poses the greatest danger. Danger. Um, Jeff Sessions has the most power. Uh, he is the most uh, uh, consistent, uh, and and uh, you know he's a creature of Washington. He can execute on what he wants to do, and he already is. We see that on what they're doing with criminal justice reform. We see that with what he's doing on immigration. We see that 
um, across the board. So I think there's, I think Jeff Sessions um, is the most dangerous member of the cabinet. Uh, what's happening with Rex Tillerson at state has been flying under the radar, but the way they're kind of decimating state, uh, not filling important positions, uh, changing the way state operates, uh, it has affected the way we do foreign policy, which, you know, up to and including like, you know, statements that seem to be drafted via Jared Kushner about really sensitive matters about how we relate to China and these kinds of things. So I find that really frightening. The truth is the Department of Education is the weakest part of the cabinet. And then as for someone like Ben Carson, I think the the thing that is frightening about Ben Carson is not ideological, it's competence. It is the role that they play in housing. I mean, it's just, it's just true. You know, Ben... <laughs> Ben Carson, you know, there used to be this thing, you'd be like, well, it's not brain surgery. <laughs> and now I just think, well, maybe it fucking is brain surgery. Maybe that, maybe brains are just these goop things that you can adjust like, like the fucking garbage disposal in your sink. You just get in there with a wrench because Ben Carson can do it. <laughs> it's a shame. He's done a disservice to neuroscience, like to, to, to the profession of brain surgeons. He, they've lost some of the luster. They're going to need to, basically, there just needs to be another prominent brain surgeon who runs for president who are like, holy shit, that guy knows his stuff. He does not seem like he wandered onto this stage. Thank you guys for coming out. Have a good night, guys. 